Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With us, as always, this weekend, discussing the news of the week, we have with us John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and former uh, federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. This week, we're going to be talking about a number of things, including that Chinese lantern drill. No, I mean the balloon that was shot down after it left U.S. airspace. We'll talk about the Democrats in their primaries, the latest polls for uh, President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. And of course, the State of the Union is coming up. And in New York, we have all kinds of talks of hush money payments and special grand juries. So stick around. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll unpack. I hate that word, that term, but we'll use it. We'll unpack all of this. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and once again <clears throat> with us is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. We're going to start out talking about the, the thing that everyone finds themselves suddenly an expert in, and that's shooting down Chinese high-altitude balloons. Um, I'll start by, uh, by saying I did speak with members of the intelligence and uh, defense community in the last two days about it. There was on Wednesday, the president had given the okay for the DOD to shoot down the the balloon and the DOD wisely decided that bringing down something the size of three city buses inside on land could be a potential danger, not knowing what was in it. So they waited till it was uh, out to sea, but while it was still within our uh, 12 miles of, uh, of uh, water rights or whatever out in the ocean, and we shot it down there with one shot from an F-22 Raptor, and no, George Santos did not fire the shot. So, <laughs> so despite whatever claims you may, may have heard to the contrary. <laughs> so anyway, so now it's safely probably a right pad or, or Quantico or someplace being uh, examined. And I was told uh, that I, I asked specifically our our uh, a couple of sources did they think did they believe the Chinese um, description of what occurred or the reason why it occurred saying it was an errant weather balloon or were they skeptical of it and uh, for background I was told uh, well basically they're full of shit but they won't know what it is until they take it apart so starting with 
John, I, John, if, if president John Bennett had been in charge, what would he have done? Well, I do like to having covered the presidency and studied it. Um, I, I do sometimes like to, to play this game and put myself behind the resolute desk or uh, at the head of the situation room table. Um, and I'm, I'm mixed on this one. I think, I think about it in terms like this, what would I want my foreign policy to be and what statement, <clears throat> excuse me, would I want to send uh, to the Chinese? So, you know, president Bennett might have ordered this thing shot down um, sooner. And uh, this is not about politics or I'm not, choosing the Republican side. Um, but I, I don't, I wouldn't have let it just keep floating over my airspace. <laughs> I think. But at the same time, uh, if the Navy or the Coast Guard or whoever can, can retrieve it. And if you can crack it open, like you said, and as of this morning, it didn't seem like, like we had it yet. Um, if you can get in there and, and examine it and learn some things about Chinese technology or what they were after, um, I, President Bennett probably could have been convinced of that by his generals and his his intelligence officials. So um, I think you just screwed it up. You just shot it down early. I probably would have. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is pretty brazen stuff that the Chinese pulled here. Um, and, you know, the, the problem for Biden is, you know, folks like us can can talk this through and, and come to the conclusion that, OK, you don't want, as you said, you you don't want a piece of this to crash into a gymnasium in Iowa where they're having a high school basketball game, you know, right. that, and the military didn't want that. Um, and the, the, the U.S. military did not want to cause U.S. civilian deaths on U.S. soil because a piece of this thing, you know, crashed into a Carl's Jr. in Indiana. Or, and don't or forget Tennessee. the size of it, the size of three yeah. city buses. Three buses. Right. That's what's underneath. That's not even the balloon on top. Yeah, so I think President Bennett would have been eventually talked off the ledge here and, and would, have shot this, <laughs> would have shot this thing down off Myrtle Beach, a, a place I've been as a Carolina uh, native. So, yeah, I, I think Biden probably handled it well. But the problem is, even if Biden handled, handled it well um, and listened to his best advice, it still kind of makes him look silly, doesn't it? Makes him look a little weak. Well, China just flew a balloon from Alaska to Myrtle Beach and you just let it happen. So I, I do think it's a problem. I think it's a problem, even if he handled it it's well. It's an appearance problem. Michael, yeah, it, it's it, an appearance problem for sure. Yeah. Michael, do you think, I mean, the, uh, you know, it was also reported that this happened during the Trump administration. So is it just a, an appearance problem for the president or are there others? Well, first, I thought it was an Uber Eats delivery from when it left Alaska <laughs> until it hit Minnesota. So I was, you know, I was confused what the, what the issue was. It was my Szechuan. <laughs> I was waiting for the sauce. Exactly. How much do you tip for that? I know. That's a good question. These are, these are important questions that I hope we get to, Brian. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's like John says, in a sense, a, a damned if you do or don't yeah. Um, yeah. situation. But ultimately, I think you need to see what technology is in the, the bus part of the, the balloon. And remember the criticism that the United States took when one of our drones sort of landed someplace in Afghanistan or right, and right. we didn't and we didn't blow it up, um, allowing therefore um, our technology in that drone to be uh, looked at and perhaps uh, reconstructed. So I think they have to get 
that information, whether they do it on day one or when it floats over the Atlantic, I, I, I think there's no good answer uh, to that. But I think not wanting to cause civilian deaths probably overrides the intelligence that they may have been getting. I thought that I read too that there was a way perhaps to be blocking the um, ability of the buses part of it to gather information. information. Yeah. And so maybe they don't want to say that they were doing that because yeah. it would compromise national security. How did, how are they doing that? You know, so maybe they were actually doing that um, all along and it wasn't therefore as threatening to our security. And then when it goes off the coast and can't hurt anybody, you shoot it down, you pick it up, you look at the technology and you know, yeah, you, the high ground that we just can't allow, you know, that um, over our territory. Well, and I think you bring up two uh, two good points. Recovering it allows you to get the telemetry and the data, uh, data whatever was was acquired. But my question to the DoD uh, people was, what's the difference? We all have satellites. What does the what does the balloon give you that the satellites do not? What is the reason for sending the balloon? And I was told point blank, well, that's why we want to recover the balloon <laughs> because that's the question they want to answer because we, we all have spy satellites. We all have satellites in space that can mm -hmm. spy on anything. So what will a balloon give you? Why did you send it? So waiting until it's gathered it's in of course it was steerable yeah. and john as you mm -hmm. had talked about earlier where it was steered to uh we right. talked offline about you know how it was steered and where it was steered maybe gives you an indication of what they were trying to to get so if and look we're, this is all speculation i'm not an expert in shooting down <laughs> high level you know, everyone high else flying weather balloons or any kind of other balloon nor do i know anything about uh, the telemetry that might exist, but the questions I had were, why would why would you wait to shoot it down? So that was safety and wanting to see what it is that they were getting. So knowing the knowing full well that we could shoot it down, and while it was in territorial waters within twelve miles of the shore, there seemed to be no harm in doing it the way they did, despite whatever um, criticism uh, the administration got so it was i think they made a strategic decision mm -hmm. not a political one and at the same time you're right both of you that you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't but it seems like once again that they erred on the side of caution prudence and knowledge which wow what a concept <laughs> can, I, can i mention something another... yeah go ahead. no go oh, ahead. just quickly uh, the other problem for biden is uh china was already a problem uh, this just makes that relationship even even worse. Right. Um, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was supposed to go to China to meet with President Xi. He ain't Xi, going now. And he, he they canceled the trip. Uh, Biden uh, reportedly is, and understandably, um, pretty hot at President Xi right now. So, um, you know, Taiwan, other issues. This just gets harder and harder. Uh, my former boss uh, and and I, back in the Obama administration, near the end of his first term, reported a story um, where then President Obama lost his temper during a meeting about China and used some colorful language. And he was just so frustrated. And things haven't gotten better. Don't listen to Donald Trump. 
that was a that was a sham of a relationship. Yeah. And he didn't that the trade deal was was not as strong as, as Trump led on. So this has been going on a long time. It just makes it harder. Michael. So correct me if I'm wrong, but was there not a second balloon also that was over flying, Latin America flying sort of perilously close to uh, the Panama Canal? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, between Costa Rica and and Venezuela. Um and what what was the reason for that? Um, was it? It was a tour bus gone wrong. <laughs> I mean, we haven't heard an excuse, a reason, or uh, an explanation of that. At least I haven't. Um, uh, there was an acknowledgement by members of the DOD I spoke with that said it it, it was there. It had happened, but. That one has kind of gotten lost after this one was shot down within the territorial waters off of uh, the Carolinas. So I, I, I think those these are all questions that are are valuable and viable in in the weeks ahead. But to, John, to your point, I but, think. But what, Brian, can I just, the reason I yeah. raise it is one of the questions that I didn't know that I was reading something about was I didn't realize that. And maybe it's just incorrect information that China has a um, uh, a base in Argentina, um, Tierra de Fuego. And the question they were asking was, um, was this uh, Latin American balloon? Um, did it take off from Argentina? What you know? You know what what is China doing in in South America? So that was why I was asking that question. I just yeah. don't know the answers to any of them, but. Um, that would be an interesting, you know, sort of development if China is using uh, a base in Argentina to launch uh, spy balloons and what else might it portend? Good question. Remember, there's a guy that's predicting we'll be at war with China in 2025. So it's the Chinese uh, U.S. relationship is not solid. <laughs> what a terrible idea for both countries. for both countries and it's for the world balloon, the, the war yeah a, a war terrible idea for both countries and also um i believe jim clapper said this last night um on cnn this is the reason that he's alarmed former director of national intelligence jim clapper he's alarmed because this is so out of character for the chinese to do something like this they're very calculated they think about everything they're very strategic and now they have riled up their biggest business partner. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's a very strange thing. And why was it steered? Why was it maneuvered over um, a nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear missile silo? I believe in the Dakotas or in Montana. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. Lawmakers want a briefing. Uh, there's nothing scheduled yet. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's off brand for the Chinese to, to do something quite like this. And, you know, if Jim Clapper is confused, then I think we should all be, because that, that's a smart guy is an yeah. intelligence professional. It, it was, they were checking traffic patterns on the way to the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> Brian, one last yeah. question that I have sure. for John, which is, because you Watch covered the stuff or for both of you, which is, is it the right move to withdraw Blinken's trip to China or does Blinken better suit our domestic needs if he goes to china and says what's up with this 
obviously the president has decided or the administration has decided it's best not to go. Right, uh, but that's what I'm asking you guys. Yeah. What you, well, you they have more information you, than I have. <laughs> well, the John? Chinese, the Chinese made this invitation for Blinken to come. Um, you know that zero their zero COVID policy has really slowed down their economy. It's it's still kind of the root of the supply chain issues that trust me are still going on. If you try yep. to order furniture lately, um, so. If you if you go now, is that a personal note there, John? <laughs> you're, the rewarding, you're rewarding, uh, you're rewarding Xi's behavior if you go now because this was supposed to be him bringing China back into the the world economy after COVID. So it's it's tricky. It's um, an economic it message. Yeah, it probably does serve U.S. interest economically to go, but I don't think you can reward uh, the behavior. Well, and also the, on the flip side, it would benefit us to go economically, but it would also sure. benefit them. And right. we're, fi I think what the president is figuring is that we're in a better economic situation than China coming out of COVID and they'll suffer while we both will not benefit from not going there. The we'll benefit our benefits will are, are be less detrimental to us than them. So yeah. we're going to take a break and we come back. <laughs> It's time the Democrats have changed their <clears throat> primaries. The latest poll is out on Biden and the Trump reunion match. <laughs> so stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question, and it's a never-ending campaign season for presidential politics. With Donald Trump announcing he would run for office after he announced that he hadn't lost the last time, so he's already in the uh, in in the soup. There's a couple of other Republicans that are talking about it. We still haven't heard from uh, incumbent president uh, Joe Biden as to whether or not he's going to run. He hasn't given us a definitive answer on whether or not he's going to run in 2024 and yet the democrats have already changed some of their primaries the democrats are defending this as a wonderful maneuver to better reflect the electorate going forward in 2024 there are those who say it benefits biden and then of course the state of the union is coming up but you gotta top it all off with the latest polls that just came out today that say no one is looking forward to a biden and um Trump reunion. Um, I, I want to, you know, part of this, like the last part, the last thing that we, in the last block that we talked about, a lot of it was how the press pitched it. And that's one of the things I like to ask often. Um, I don't think the press covered, like I said, we were all instant experts in, in flying, you know, high altitude balloons. And now once again, we're back into what looks like the horse race mentality for, uh, 
for presidential politics. And before I go to John with a background on it, Michael, from the outside, do you ever get tired of watching how we cover presidential politics? Well, the first thing I want to say, though, with nobody being excited about either Trump or Biden, it does open the opportunity for President John Bennett's campaign. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's almost he doesn't shoot down that balloon before we get the information. Somebody got to yeah, talk exactly. him down. Yeah, I, I, think, I probably you know, would have screwed that up. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, <laughs> Bennett for president has a really nice ring to it. <laughs> well, you know, Brian, in, in, in answer, my additional answer to your question, because I was going to say seriously, but I am seriously for Bennett for president. But <laughs> you have a campaign manager, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you work for free? <laughs> and, and a chief of staff when you win. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. all right here. It's just like a happy yeah. meal. Just unwrap it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you get. Can you ever get tired of watching the way the press covers it? They always cover it the same way, which is like it's a sporting event. Who's who's favored by what number of points? Will they cover the spread? There's not a lot of um, in-depth coverage of why people feel the way they do you know I, so i just you know i'm numb to the way it's covered it's the way it's always been covered and that's the way they cover it and so you just accept it i think i don't know how you how exactly you change it do you have a, a sense of what what they would do better how they oh, would do it better uh, yes absolutely but i think that I think you have to have, you know, this goes back to what I wrote in the book. I, I think you have to have a diversity of coverage. I think you have to make people understand uh, how policy affects them. And we don't do that very well. I think we we're very shallow in our coverage. And uh, and that leads me to the shallowness of coverage leads me to the question that, John, when you look at it, when you look at the poll, uh, people are just not. If, for reasons not given, not excited about either one of these guys running for office. No, I mean, you've got almost double the the number of uh, Democrats who want Biden to run at 31%. It's almost double at 58% of Democrats polled don't want Biden to run. Uh, we were talking before uh, you hit record. And, you know, it's if you're a Democrat voter... And you have that belief system. Biden's done a pretty good job, you know. Right. Um, but they—he's just not resonating uh, with the country. Chris Christie said that uh, this morning on ABC. He's just not relating to people. Aren't relating with Joe Biden, and it's—you know—he seems like an affable fellow. We've covered him. You know, you probably got in the neck squeeze in a Senate hallway when oh, he's yeah. either annoyed when he's either annoyed or impressed by a question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's just not breaking through. He's just not See, breaking that's through. That's their with the fault, people. isn't it? That, I mean, come on, that's their fault. I mean, here's a guy who's eminently relatable, just your average Joe. It's Uncle Joe. It's a, he's gone through so much crap in his life and mm -hmm. endured. And it's not like Trump, who sat on a golden throne and shit himself. This guy's actually led life. And yet, he is unable to connect with people who have more in common with him than they'll ever have in common with Donald Trump. Yeah, that, I, I, I think it's all. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I think it's also Biden's age. You know, he would be 82 if he ran, if, if he runs, wins, and is sworn in. He'll be 82 on Inauguration Day. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Uh, maybe people don't want to say it to a pollster. I don't know if some of these polls, they don't always ask why. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're just reading a script. So, you know, I think we'll hear more and more about his age. Um, I mean, we hear it from Republicans. They don't say it, but they imply it for sure. I mean, you hear a lot of Republicans now using the D word dementia when they're talking about Biden. So which isn't um, accurate from what I've seen, but nonetheless, it makes a point that. Yeah. And, and, and that's the same thing with, I think that's part of the reason why nobody wants to see the battle of the geriatrics, Donald Trump and uh, as well, the actuary yeah. table is going to catch up with both of them. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, just a brutal poll for Biden and the balloon incident um, I, I don't think it'll help, but you know, by the time we do this again next week, you know, it's, it's not going to be the balloon. We'll be, we'll be <laughs> onto something else. So maybe he can outrun the balloon. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey now. So, so what do you think of the, the Democrats? The Democrats have made a lot about changing up their primaries. What do you, what do you get out of it? Well, isn't that interesting that, that Joe Biden changed the rules. He, he literally, move the goalposts yes imagine if donald trump had done that imagine if or trump still could i guess he south carolina could go first he could change the rules too if, if he could just get the rnc you know to have that vote um but imagine if trump did that that when when this was announced when this story leaked months and months ago that was my first reaction was holy crap He's literally changing the rules to benefit himself. Imagine. Yeah, and how benefits. does it benefit him? Explain to our, our listeners how that benefits them. If there's a primary, meaning if, if Biden has a serious Democratic challenger, um, Joe may not win the, the first primary in a place like New Hampshire or Iowa. So that could be a big problem, especially for an incumbent who's not all that popular. But South Carolina... Uh, aided by Jim Clyburn, the veteran congressman. That, remember, that's where Biden got his first win in 2020. He didn't yes. win the first few there primaries. You go. He wasn't close to winning. So South Carolina, it's that Obama coalition aided by folks like Jim Clyburn down there. Uh, so Biden, you know, he polls really well still in South Carolina. Um, and so South Carolina goes first, and that sends a message that, you know, Biden Biden's the front runner here. And um, other states, you know, other states, ten, we saw it in 2020, other states fell in line with the outcome in South Carolina. It, that did mean something. It did appear to shuffle the board in Biden's favor. And now South Carolina goes first. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said that, you know, New Hampshire doesn't. I, I mean, part of the reason that they give New Hampshire isn't reflective of the greater part of the U.S. Right. True enough. It's very progressive state comparatively. But nonetheless, it does align with with uh <laughs> Joe Biden much better. Michael? Well, I hear that argument that he's changing the rules to benefit himself, and probably there's truth in that. On the other hand, I also um, wonder about whether or not the process with Iowa and New Hampshire leading off are reflective of the, the Democratic base and whether that's a proper way to start your primaries, 
with um, states that that well they they won't they might win New Hampshire Democrats they haven't won Iowa for a long time maybe Obama mm-hmm. won it, I'm not sure um, but that it's just harder um, for them to see what their base is how how the primary reflects the the base of states that are in play for the Democrats in the election. And so maybe you want, maybe you want to go to those states where you're competitive, uh, mostly competitive, and except South Carolina, we're not going the Democrats are not gonna to win, but Nevada and Michigan and New Hampshire and I forget what the other um early state is, those are all um, tested states. They're sort of purplish states. And so maybe the better thing to do is have the primaries in purple states to see which of your candidates fares best in purple states so that you can pick a candidate who has the greatest chance of of winning. Well, let's see, I'm looking as we, it looks like presidential voting history, uh, Iowa, 76, 80, 84 went Republican, 88, 92, 96, 2000 went Democrat. Bush won it in 2004, then went Democrat again in 2008 and 2012, and the last two have gone Republican. So it's, it's, it, it is a bit of that. It, it's far more representative, although I got to tell you that um, I don't know that there's much difference uh, between Iowa and South Carolina, except South Carolina usually votes Republican more than Democrat. So I, I, I don't, I, I don't understand. Well, the, the difference being that South Carolina has a larger minority population. And so you, right. you can see who is attractive, which, which of your candidates is attractive to a minority um, voting block. And that helps inform you again about which of your candidates has the greatest chance of winning in that you need that block to win uh, many of the other states where you're right. doing urban vote versus rural vote. Yeah, that's well, South Carolina has voted Republican every presidential election since 1976. Mm. <laughs> so I... Yeah. It, it it may be more diverse, but it's certainly more of a red state, John. It's also a signal. It was a signal last time to black voters that Joe's our guy. And yeah. it was a signal to, to black voters in other states to get behind this guy. This is the one we want. And that was the Clyburn endorsement. Clyburn, in some ways, pushed Biden across the finish line to get the nomination. There you go. Now, in, in addition to uh, all of this, we're talking about um, the, all of this comes up, the balloon, the trial balloon, the, 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 the actual balloon the, the, and uh, the latest polls. Uh, all of this in the primaries are all backdrop to what's coming up this coming week. And that's the State of the Union. Now, we know what uh, and afterwards, of course, like many presidents before him, Biden is going to take off on a cross-country tour touting infrastructure and some of the deals that he's made as president. And of course, the infrastructure deal, you can't drive anywhere in this country now without seeing the results of that infrastructure deal. There, are, There is infrastructure being built. So that's a nice thing to campaign on. But the question is, what do you think 
the key points should be for 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 Biden going into the State of the Union? And what do you think the Republicans' biggest, other than the nutbags, what what do you think the the biggest pushback will be against Biden? Uh, John, I'll give you start on that. What do you think is is what do you think he will be key to his State of the Union address? Well, I think the biggest pushback will will be on on spending and the debt ceiling. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Republicans will uh, will hear a Democratic president talking about, in some instances, the, the federal government as um, the solution or the the proper vehicle to do X, Y, or Z, and they'll just hear dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. They want to cut the budget. Uh, Democrats usually want to add things. Uh, to it, bolster programs, add new programs. So I th- and we've already heard a lot uh, for those Congress nerds like me. We've we've heard a lot already on spending, especially House Republicans. And I think that that really gets ramped up Tuesday night in the aftermath of the speech. Uh, they're not going to like his foreign policy. Uh, they're not going to like very much of anything that Joe Biden says. I think Biden should I think Biden should should throw a few elbows, especially at House Republicans. But he's Unity Joe, and I think we'll hear a lot of we can we can work together. What, what the president's line? I think we'll hear a lot expanding the line that he uses in his speeches that um, we can still do big things if we work together, and America has never failed at big things when we've worked together. I think that'll be um, a big section of this speech. Now, the the cynics like me. Um, may think that's a bit divorced from reality. And um, but I, I think that's that's going to be the president's message. He's already trying to work with Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. Uh, he's using his name in public, which is a change. There was a time where he would not say the words right. Kevin McCarthy. So they've met. They've talked. Uh, they're going to have a phone call. I believe that's scheduled before the State of the Union to, to keep talking about the debt ceiling. So, you know, while he probably should throw some more elbows at Republicans, that would probably boost his approval rating among Democrats. He's also in a point with McCarthy right now that just started negotiating. So I don't think he can strategically um, be that critical of, of especially House Republicans because he's trying to cut a deal to avert, you know, uh, a dead default. So he, I think we'll hear a lot about unity and let's work together and uh, let's let's find common ground where we can. I think we'll hear a lot about that. I'll, I'll only push back on one thing, saying that I don't think he's divorced from reality. Him and reality are just are not on speaking terms. It's it's hmm. Donald Trump who's actually so far divorced. Fair from enough. Him. It's his Good third point. divorce. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll Good push point. back a little bit on that, <laughs> Michael. <Fair enough. laughs> Michael, what do you think is the big thing we'll be talking about, and what do you think the big comeback will be from the Republicans? I think if I were advising him, I would tell him to tout the jobs numbers and the return of the economy. We are at 3.4% unemployment, the lowest number since 1969. And the economy seems to be going strong, undermining the arguments that, that we are headed to a recession. And he hasn't yet convinced the American public that without, uh, even with these good job numbers and inflation seemingly coming down that they're in uh, a better place today than they they were they they haven't he hasn't yet made the 
connection to what he's doing with the infrastructure bill and inflation reduction and all that stuff that he's making their lives better. And I think that he's got a very short window to tell people that he's helping their them sort of like lead easier, better, safer lives. And, and what do you think a Republican pushback is? You're not, you're not doing any of those things. Inflation <laughs> is high. Eggs cost too much. Crime is 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 soaring. Uh, the Ukraine uh, war is is a, um, a sinkhole uh, for us. And uh, you're you're not connecting because your policies are all wrong. Well, I think both of you have missed one thing. I know they're going to push back on, <laughs> and that's those classified documents. I'm sure they're going to try to make something about that. But John, here's a special little something for you because I just I don't know if you're aware of it. But you and I both know very well the person who's going to deliver the Republican response, mm. yes. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> can that you is think, Governor Sanders to you? That's Governor Sanders. Can you think of a more ridiculous <laughs> response? I cannot wait to see what the Republican response is. I'm going to have popcorn and a beer. I'm going to sit there <laughs> and watch this and laugh knowing full well what she lied and told us to our face <laughs> during her time in Washington as the press secretary for Donald Trump. What do you think you're going to get out of it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you um, can see the look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to laugh too hard. Uh, you know, Sarah offline, I'll pull the curtain back offline. Yeah. Sarah was, was, was polite and professional. She, got in the briefing room, the cameras came on, and she was playing a character, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. Um, when I could get her attention, and, you know, roll call was not in the first two rows of the briefing room or anything, and, um, you know, they catered, just like any White House, to the to the big publications and the networks. But when I got her attention, she could be helpful. She, she would provide some information every now and then. Um, that being said, there were times where... You know, I felt as if I was explaining uh, policy making, explaining how legislatures work um, to her. And yes. I'm sure she's had, you know, advisors and educating her on uh, how to work with the Arkansas legislature, for example. And where I'm going with this, maybe if I can get there, is uh, a trail longer than a Chinese balloon. Um, <laughs> she's going. To, I I think she's going to run for president. Yeah, think there you go. That's yeah. exactly what I. So I don't want setting to laugh. her up. Yeah, I they're 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 they need they need some new blood. I I think within the party, you know, the Nikki Haley's, the Mike Pompeo's, they don't have that star quality, and and Sarah has something that those folks don't. She has the MAGA base. Yeah. And, and and she's she's known um, she's a national figure, but you know some of the meat on the bone stuff that you know like Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, Governor New Hampshire, you know he's kind of a policy wonk. Um, I never got that sense from Sarah working with her. <laughs> I just so what I think we'll get from the response. Sorry, just 
Yeah. You just delivered go, it with such a straight line. It was so, I did. such a straight face. She, go she's look, definitely not a policy wonk. She's not a policy <laughs> wonk. So go look at some of the executive orders. Uh, That's what I would advise readers if you want to get a preview of what we're likely to hear in, in her response Tuesday night. Um, Go look at some of these executive orders she signed. She's taken over. It's just red meat. It's it's Fox News on steroids. Yep. Um, it's conservative Twitter. Um, I think we'll hear a lot of that. And and this is her chance to kind of reintroduce herself. And that governor's mansion has a lot of nice visuals. So it's going to look nice. I think it'll 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 be very, very well, uh, a lot of stagecraft. And our old friend Judd Deere is running her communication shop. Uh, he's a former White House press aid. And, you know, they they got really they got pretty good at stagecraft uh, by the end of the Trump administration. So. I think she'll put on a show and I think, I think she'll pull it off because because she'll be, she's going to be talking to the, to the, the base of the base. And if you view it like that, I think she gets over the hurdle and, and I think people start, um, they, people start more openly talking about hers. Maybe I'm, Maybe the future of the party. I, I, I don't see anyone else out there. I don't quite think Sununu has that, that that national oomph but i mean sarah they had someone on saturday night live dedicated to studying and playing sarah so she's got the juice yeah michael i'll give you the last word on this she got the juice (laughs) well i don't cover this stuff as intimately as you guys do but hearing this is really startling to me because i thought her performance as press secretary was so humbling uh, that pathetic is I the notion the notion that 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 she would be a charismatic figure who can bring the Republican Party to the presidency um, to me is just unbelievable. I you know I would yeah, I didn't say she could win. I didn't <laughs> say she could win. No but but to your point it it, it is kind of uh uh frightening and, and alarming but john is right in in the fact that she does have the mega base and she does she can be behind the scenes i i i had the same experience behind the scenes she could be very um professional very uh easy to deal with up front she wasn't that's why i think she'll fail because i i don't think she's very good sure. in public but um i i do well, believe i guess I guess the point I was driving at is how what's the age difference between Sarah Sanders and the fellow from Miami, from Florida, whose name I always try to forget. DeSantis? DeSantis, right. So what, I mean, 15, 20 years? Yeah, Sarah's 40. Right. And Mr. DeSantis is 44. Oh, yeah, so, four years. Oh, all right. So they're the same age. And you would think, given his national profile and his catering to the MAGA base, that if you're going to put off some, put up somebody, um, he's the more, I'm surprised that he's not the standard bearer. But of course, he and Trump are Don't get not along. aligned. And, and that's why he's been denied that that platform. But I would think that we're going to still see him running for president. And I would think that in a 
straight up contest between Sarah Sanders and um and him that 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 he wins unless the MAGA base says because he's not aligned with Trump, we're not gonna vote for him. This is in a primary where Trump is not uh running. You know, if Trump is running, I still think from the polling we saw from ABC, he 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 wins the that MAGA vote. Yeah. It may not be by the same percentage that he won it previously. But I still think he wins that MAGA vote. And so if you're the Republicans looking for new blood, the question is, are there enough Republican voters uh, who could put a, a fellow like Hogan or somebody uh, more moderate across the, the finish line? Let let the Sanders and the uh, DeSantis's and the Trumps uh, take a you know a portion of the MAGA base and leave a moderate to to prevail just i mean the same way that trump prevailed all i all i can say is at the end of the day i do not know cannot predict how her performance will be but if uh her public uh persona in the white house briefing room is any indication it will be an uh it will be enough to have the maga cheer and the rest of the world go bleh but that's just that's how I see it, having fought with her in that briefing room on a number of occasions. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Bragg and uh, the uh, hush payments, hush money payments up in New York and, of course, Weisselberg. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. And uh, I guess, Michael, I want to start this segment talking out a little talking a little bit about uh, what's going on with Donald Trump and prosecution in uh, or potential prosecution in New York. Now, in speaking with uh, Michael Cohen earlier this week, Cohen said he believes that it's going to lead sooner rather than later to an indictment against Donald Trump. There was an existing um, grand jury that was hearing testimony, and now uh, the prosecutor Bragg is going to call, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, call another, uh, uh, or, uh, another, uh, um, effort to look at hush money payments. So this would be a grand jury in addition to one that's already sitting. Yes. Well, the way it's working out is that Pomerantz, who was the prosecutor brought in to look at the Trump organization initially, recommends to Cy Vance, which is Bra who was Bragg's predecessor, that they bring RICO charges against the Trump organization. Cy Vance decides not to run again for Manhattan DA. Alvin Bragg wins. 
Alvin Bragg looks at Pomerantz's evidence and says, I don't think you convict or sustain that conviction on appeal, so we're taking a timeout. Pomerantz gets upset and, and quits and now is writing a book that probably violates non-disclosure and ethics <laughs> rules for, for for prosecutors. You know, not a good that look. That has pissed off Michael Cohen too. <laughs> and go not, ahead. not a good not a good look. So that's that's sort of like the end of chapter one. Chapter two, we're we're up to now is Bragg saying, you know what? Maybe there is more to the hush payment and cover up of those hush payments on the Trump business records than I thought before. So let's start taking some new or additional evidence on that. And they have, you know, I expect a whole host of things, but they want to convene a new grand jury essentially to start fresh for the possibility of um, considering an indictment for the hush money cover up on the business records um, case. I don't think it's a great case. Um, however, what I think that they need and what they have always needed is someone within the Trump organization, in addition to Michael Cohen, to support the allegations of uh, financial corruption. That person is Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisberg, the longtime chief financial officer of the organization, is now in Rikers Island prison serving time for lying and tax fraud and other charges. The thought is that now that Weisselberg has gotten a taste of what it's like to be in Rikers Island, they can come <laughs> back to him, they can come back to him and say, would you like to spend more time there because we think we have a viable case of insurance fraud that that mirrors the exact same charges as the tax fraud. It's just reporting the same dishonest information to a different organization, insurance versus tax. We've convicted you on the tax. We can convict you on the insurance. Here's your Here's your choice. You get out of jail free if you cooperate against Trump. You face additional prosecution if you don't. Well, you know, give us a call. And I think that's sort of where that's sort of where we are at because I I do think that Michael Cohen, who I don't have any you know opinion on um, as a human being, I think is a very fractured witness because of his having lied under oath um, right. and committed, you know, sort of criminal acts for which he has been convicted, passed. And the documents themselves and even the, the, the tape conversations discussing it, I don't think are strong enough to make uh, a, a case. And so that's, that's where we are, Brian. We, we, it's not, you know, it's not Yogi Berra. It's not deja vu all over again. No, it's it's, but it's a, but it's a, a reinitiating of the criminal charges by the Manhattan DA, which is in and of itself interesting when you look at it and realize that Letitia James 
has her civil lawsuit just you know coming up for trial around the corner and there's a lot of overlap between In those two cases yeah between the two two cases so i think it's a it's an interesting development we'll, well see how I, it plays out but i think that weiselberg still remains the key to uh criminal prosecution uh in in new york state I, I think there's two things that happen, and then, John, I'll go to you for your, for your comments on it. I think you make an excellent point, Michael, but I do believe that uh, simply calling another grand jury, because this is already a sitting grand jury that's hearing the stuff that Michael Cohen had to testify to. This is a, a grand jury being called specifically for the hush money payments. That says something to me as far as intent by the prosecutor to uh, reinitiate this case, Weisselberg being the key um, those and and what the uh, has come out of the DA's office saying that Michael Cohen ha everything that he has said has been backed up by fact gives in you know um, solves the questions that they had about his credibility. So mm. everything that they're saying seems to indicate that they're getting very serious about going after uh, Donald Trump in New York. And it was Cohen who said that of all the cases, well. And others have said, not just Cohen, I think there, some of the people who have, have looked at this uh, as independent uh, watchers of the media have said that of all the cases that Donald Trump faces uh, criminally, what's going on in Manhattan, it could be by far the most dangerous for Donald Trump. Uh, well, John you know, the thing about this is, Brian, just add one thing, covering up hush money payments on your business, because it's not illegal to pay hush money. Right. Well, we have to be clear. You can pay hush money. I can I can pay anyone I want to to not say bad things about about me. me. I probably, yeah. I probably can say I probably could pay people to say nice things about me uh, if I could find such a person. <laughs> That's a needle in a haystack. That, that, that might be it. easier though. <laughs> <laughs> but but. So when do you so, know him? No, but he's a really nice guy. <laughs> right. Compared to this guy, guy yeah. mess, right? <laughs> yeah. So the issue here is not is there an illegal hush payment? The question is, how did they treat that payment on the books and records right. of the Trump organization? That that might only be a misdemeanor in New York under New York state business records laws. And so it seems a bit, I mean, there may be a class, low class felony on this, but you know, I don't know that you go after the former president of the United States. So you don't on, think it's the most dangerous thing he faces? Uh, well, you know, I'm just looking at the, the statutes and just on the hush, hush money payments alone, the crimes that I see potentially are just record keeping styled um, offenses. They could be criminal, but often are not. And so I, I'm just not sure that if, you know, there's that expression, if you go to the, go for the king, you better can't not miss, you, can't, you better <laughs> not miss. I'm not sure that if this is their, if this is their shot, uh, you know, books and records failure to accurately report the hush money payments and even if it is even if i'm if i'm mistaken and there is some felony out there i'm not sure that this is the case that you'd that, make that i that i'd make i'd want to if i was bringing a case 
and I had the evidence for it, for which you need Weisselberg, that is um, bank fraud, insurance fraud in the evaluations of property. Remember the story is that when they wanted to get money from a bank as a loan or insurance coverage, they inflated the value of the property. When they had they to, to pay, pay taxes, taxes, they deflated. The state, deflated. Now, that might be the stronger case. However, a case like that also is not straightforward because valuations of properties are not, are not simple. Well, I mean, for example, if you own an apartment building and you say to a bank, once I have 100% occupancy, the building will be worth X, so please lend me X. And then you go to the tax authorities and say, I only am at 30% occupancy, and so the value of the property is two-thirds less X. You've got two valuations, you know, two different Yeah, numbers. but, that, that, but that's made... common. No, I understand that. So the question is, what what has Trump done that is uncommon? Now, the allegations are that- Everything in his life, what, Well, <laughs> but proving it. <laughs> well, but the but the point, Brian, is that it, the the allegation is, for example, he had rent controlled apartments. They have a certain value. He represented them as not being rent controlled. Right. That's 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 a fraud. He said yeah. his uh, apartment, his Manhattan apartment, was X thousand square feet when it was something less than that and right that, right that featured into the valuation and so if you can find overt lies that led to misinformation being given to banks or insurance companies then you've got a stronger case but i still say they need someone to shepherd them through the the financials to prove that it's not michael cohen and they that have would be the Weisselberg. They, they had another guy, right, who was like the deputy right. who testified in the Trump Corporation tax trial. But apparently, he doesn't know enough to get them over the finish line. So, hence Weisselberg and Westworth got him. You know, hopefully, he has a, a a conscience, but he has or at least a different attitude after spending a few time, you know, a little bit of time behind bars. Right. But he's, you know, he's 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 loyal, maybe to a fault for the betterment of the country. But but right now, his loyalty is um, with more the Donald to him than than um, truth telling. John, what do you think? What do you make of all this? The Weisselberg and Bragg, you think uh, that Donald's going to slip the noose again? Yes. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Weisselberg uh, is going to flip. I think he he would have flipped. I, I do hear your point about uh, spending some time in the in the uh, penitentiary he might change his mind. Um, but especially he, if he's got a cellmate named Bubba. But that's another. Story. Well, that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, I I just I don't I don't see it. And and Michael makes a good point about the case itself doesn't seem like the one you that that that's not the one to pursue. You're not if you miss to Michael's point. If you miss. And you don't get Trump, and these need to. It needs to be a, a big charge, I think. Um, yeah, you know, it can't be a speeding it, ticket. Yeah, right. It's just going to feed into Trump's narrative um, that that this is all a witch hunt, and that 
that different forces have conspired together or independently of each other to take him down somehow. So I, I think it's important to get this right. We've talked here, however, Democrats have a penchant for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And that's one thing I've thought about in all these investigations into Trump is how could they, how could they, you know, fumble the game away, you know, and well, we've seen them when, do it time and it, again. Right. But it's just a question of how. And I've, I've always wondered if they will find a way to, frankly, screw this up from 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 their objective, which is to eventually politically disqualify Donald Trump. You know, that's the ultimate goal here. And that's their ultimate goal here. And I've always wondered, again, how they might trip themselves up. And you know, John, he's one of those guys who who. He benefits from others losing a lot. Yes. It's not that he always wins. But yeah, can I yeah. add something to this point of we want to disqualify him from running again? Sure. A, fel a felony conviction in New York for bank fraud, <clears throat> insurance fraud, wire fraud, hush money, cover-up is not disqualifying. He, he might not be allowed to vote for himself as a felon, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing Are that, sure he did? There's nothing that prevents him from running. Okay. And, and the thing okay. that prevents him from running is essentially uh, uh, treason uh, conviction. So, okay. well, think, it always think, reminds me of this. If if I can, if. If you could hear it, it's a bring out your dead. I, whenever I think of Donald Trump, I can't think help but think he's just not dead yet. I don't think that we'll, we'll be able to get him there. Was that Monty Python? Yeah. That yeah. The um. Well, you because you have that wonderful scene in the Princess Bride. Right. He's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. Well, Monty Python is bring out your dead. I'm all dead yet. That's 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 the Donald. So hey, I want to finish up today with something that you know we've we've screwed up the entire NFL season as far as predictions. So who do we think is going to win the Super Bowl? On the one hand, you've got the wonderful team from Kansas City. On the other hand, you have the team that Michael will never cheer for in Philadelphia. <laughs> Michael, who you, who you like in the Super Bowl, brother? I think that Philadelphia is the more dominant team. But if you have a healthy Mahomes, then there's no predicting uh, a, a, an outcome safely. But if, if you look at it on paper, I think that, that Philadelphia has the edge. I don't know what Las Vegas has the odds in, but Philadelphia has a good quarterback, not as good as Mahomes, but they've got an unbelievable um, pass defense and and also not bad running defense. And, you know, again, it, the success of Kansas City seems to me to depend wholly on how Mahomes is able to handle the quarterback. If he's his normal self, that he can run, if he doesn't have to be a pocket passer, then he could create all sorts of problems. But if he has to be a pocket passer, while it's not fair to compare him to Daniel Jones 
of the of the New York Giants um, or um, the absence of a quarterback in um, San Francisco. <laughs> the the pass defense of of Philadelphia is second to none, and I think that 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 that's a problem. Wow, John. So, so my heart is with Kansas City. Um, if I were betting, I'd probably take Philadelphia. And everyone in New York is now sighing. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm not rooting for Philadelphia. I'm just saying, I'm, if I'm placing a bet, you've broken uh, the hearts of New Yorkers everywhere. <laughs> go ahead, John. Your your your, your thoughts. Well, as uh, one of my favorite uh, sports radio personalities uh, was on here locally in D.C. For, for decades, Steve Zabin likes to say, the NFL is just a television show about quarterbacks. Yep. You look at the rules, the, the rules benefit the quarterback. They favor the quarterback. It's all about quarterback play. That being said, um, I think Mahomes will be healthy enough um, that ankle is not going to be a hundred percent. It wasn't a hundred percent against Cincinnati and he found a way uh, to get the W. And, and so I think the game will come. I think Philadelphia will be Philadelphia. They'll run the football. Uh, you know, the chiefs will, will move the ball between the 25s and, and score a lot of points. And I think Philly will score too. I think it comes down to quarterback play. And the important thing here is who's going to make fewer mistakes uh, with, with the ball, be it running it, um, or forcing it perhaps uh, downfield. And I think Hertz makes more mistakes. I think Mahomes will put in a pretty clean performance, and I think the Chiefs win. So you you, you think that uh, if Hertz gets gets hurt, they'll, they'll have to bring in George Santos to play quarterback? Well, I mean, he's already won eight Super Bowls, and he was the MVP of seven of them. So yeah. <laughs> I, I like to th I, I like to look at narratives. So if I follow my heart, I, I like the narrative of the head coach of Kansas City <clears throat> defeating the team that fired him <laughs> for 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 right. a for, for a Super Bowl. And um I've always thought Mahomes is a is good kid, young quarterback, and uh probably one of the, the greats. So I, I I would fall on my sword there and, and pick with my heart and not my head and pick Kansas City. But I have to say, if I'm picking it, it, and I'll say this with this caveat, if Mahomes doesn't have a good game, it's going to be a Philadelphia afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So can I, can I, uh, Brian, do we have a minute or two left? Yeah, in the podcast? go ahead. Because I want to, I want to publicly debate something that, that John <laughs> Bennett, president here. And are, are you going to try and redeem yourself to the New York audience? Is that it? <laughs> no. No, okay. I said I said in an email to oh. President to President Bennett that oh. I that I thought that calling the penalty against uh, Cincinnati's player Osi right. for pushing for pushing Mahomes when he was clearly out of bounds or on the way out of bounds was something that shouldn't have happened. That the the ref should hold a flag or the refs should confer on holding a flag because that penalty gave the championship to Kansas City. Now they may have won it without it. The their kicker has the capacity to kick 50 plus yard field goals. But I always thought that the rule in refing was let the players on the field 
determine the outcome of the game. And I thought that that last penalty at the very end that moved the ball up, whatever it was, 10 yards for unnecessary roughness for, you know, a mild push on Mahomes' back. It's not like, you know, roughing the quarterback um, is something. Uh, where, Michael, Michael, Michael. Where, Michael. You, where, I... you, where you have intent. Um, I, I just think that in, in the spur of the moment, he, 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 he put his arm out and no. I just, I just didn't, I, I get it. That's the rule. And maybe as John says, you you're the lawyer, by- you know, the rules are the rules, baby. I'm sorry. As, as, and I, so anyway, John, John, you so can my, jump in, but I'm going to so, say as a coach and a guy who's refereed, that was by, by rule. Now you have discretion as to whether or not to call them, but by the rule, that was a penalty. I, I know it was a penalty, but all I'm saying is the refs could also gather and confer and say, do we want to end this game that way? And they can, and they could, they could decide. And they would that. say it wasn't their choice. The guy reached it. And I'll tell you, refs are more likely to call those types of penalties when it is, it, obviously it was a reach out that was, it had no uh, in, influence on the play, but at the same time, that type of, um, that type of activity by a player is one that will warrant a penalty being called because they'll see them reach out and not being professional. And so they're worried about injuries occurring under that situation. John, I'm sorry. That was, that was to you. I just had to say it as a coach and a. <laughs> so I'm going to lose this debate two to one. I know, but I just wanted, just wanted to put it on the record that I didn't like it. Well, I, I do think you have to call that penalty there. He's on the white. He's two steps on the white. And yeah. that's been called all season. So consistency yep. matters. It was, it was, it was an awful way to end the game. We we agree on that. Um, let's take whether it's a penalty or not out of it for a second. It was terrible judgment by OC. Yes. There was Mahomes had taken himself out of the field of play. He had taken himself out of bounds. He wasn't going to advance the ball closer. Um, and you do, you, and OC knows this. The coaches bring in the refs in training camp. They say, they everyone knows that this league is a quarterback league and you can't touch the quarterback. This is these screaming shows on ESPN. That's half their programming uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays, just talking about hits on the quarterback. So everyone knows that you can't do that. You don't give the refs the chance to make the call. It was right. just, it was just, and I know it's heat of the moment. Uh, he wants to win the game and go to the Super Bowl, but you know, it was just, it, it was a poor it was choice. One of those brain moments, and it was just it was just really bad judgment. So he shouldn't have touched Mahomes. He shouldn't have given the refs the opportunity to make the call. And I'm sure make coaches, it. Yeah, I'm sure his coaches, you know, on the plane or whatever, had that well, conversation. If I, if I were the coach, I'm sitting there afterwards just shaking my head, going, son, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. Well, I didn't hit in that hard coach. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not in matter. this league. Not, not in this league. Not in any yeah. league. And and the problem yeah. is, of course. At the end, what they're trying to keep down or the, you know, if you allow that one to occur and you're right, consistently, they've been calling them all season long. But if you allow one like that to occur, then what happens the next time when someone gives a guy a shove out of bounds, he trips over the, you know, something and he ends up breaking a leg, then they're going to, I mean, it's all about keeping down incidental damage and injury and unnecessary injury, because it's those types of actions by players that lead to unnecessary and oftentimes some of the worst injuries when you're not expecting it. Yeah, was it the worst hit in the world? No, it wasn't. 
was was it but it was a a decision time for that player he made the wrong decision and the refs made the right one so next week can we talk about intentional grounding calls and multiple oh, third, and multiple <laughs> third down plays and what was that other yes. i mean the <laughs> refing i thought the refing in this game was terrible well, I think refereeing in all the games yes. is terrible. No, but I think it, it I think it decidedly favored think... Kansas City. Um, and that's why, you know, given the scope of the game and all of the penalties that were called to have the game end with another, I think, somewhat tenuous, though clear rules violation penalty, just made the, the whole game um unsatisfying. Well, I have a friend of mine who believes that it's all fixed and it's just a television show and the refs are in on it. But I'll say this, the refereeing sucks. I you know, Look, mm-hmm. on any given play in the NFL or any other football game, there could be a holding call, there could be an illegal oh, blocking sure. call, there could be there could be a, you know, a, a pull of, of the, all of it. It's when they choose to call those that are now some of them are flagrant and you call them. But some of them, you look and go, I didn't see the penalty. You even hear the commentators on TV going, well, that was a ghost call. What the hell was that? So uh, the refereeing in the NFL sucks. But that's, you know, I've and I've heard coaches as I've been in the locker room afterwards going, You're, you've got two opponents out there, the referees and the other team. So right. they're used to it. There you go. Yeah, and, you the and, and just as a and the officiating is horrible and it's intensified by replay and all these reviews. Oh God, it's a tough, yes. it's a tough product to watch. And I'd love football. It, it's, it's now that way in college. I love college football. It's my favorite sport. It's getting hard to consume. It's I, four I hours. I, I, you know what? My favorite things to go see now are high school games. <laughs> yeah. It's at least it hasn't been prostituted. I used to they say can't, that about, they can't afford the review. Yeah, that's I used to say that about college, but college has gotten as bad as the NFL. Yep. And the NFL is, I mean, I think it says something for the NFL that the Pro Bowl this year is going to be a flag game. <laughs> the National Flag Football League has arrived. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so, can I just say this? Last, yeah, in, go for it. In conclusion, in conclusion, in about 20 days, spring training begins for baseball. So there is hope oh. on the horizon. <laughs> but not for the Nationals. <laughs> anyway, so listen, guys, thanks a lot. The show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kiram. John, we can catch you. See, call, roll call. CQ, roll call. Give us your, your, uh, uh, your plugs, what you want to plug this week. Sure. Uh, column on rollcall.com every Friday and uh, three days a week when Congress is in session. CQ afternoon briefing newsletter. Subscribe at CQ.com. But also you get all those products, those CQ products, bill tracking, vote studies, transcripts, a lot of good stuff. So subscribe today. Sounds good. And Michael. I host the podcast That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book that's author driven having had uh, the great Brian Karam as one of my authors. I, as I said, I just released a two-part with um, Carl Bernstein, and I have others uh, note coming up in the coming weeks. So each week, about every week, we have a new author with a new book, 
and it's available on all podcast apps nearby. You're going to have Bill Barr on? <laughs> I, um, you know, I worked for Barr in the Justice Department and I uh, like my condolences as a, as a person, um, but his book was too long. So I <laughs> and Hard, let me just tell you, Brian, is, yeah, I, I'm a very, I'm a dyslexic reader. So getting through, you know, 500 page books in a week is um, a Herculean undertaking for me. <laughs> I had to sit through Bill Barr speaking in Sacramento this past week, and that was probably the most painful thing I've ever gone through in my life. And uh, it was talking about misinformation and disinformation, and Bill Barr took absolutely no responsibility for misinformation or disinformation during the Trump administration, blamed the press for everything, said that he was golden, he was great, and by God, his book tells just what a great guy he is. So I will tell you this much, Bill Barr's full of shit. He's a lion sack of shit, and I don't miss him, and I'm glad you're not going to have him on your show. <laughs> and so I can say to would-be would be or actual authors out there, you got a book in the 300-page or less category? Send me a note. <laughs> and, and don't be full of shit. <laughs> so, guys, thanks a lot. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks once again. We'll catch you uh, next time. Yeah.